welcome to Inklings. I am Emily Bell Freeman, and I'm so excited to welcome you to a space where you and I get to experience a hint of something more together. This is a community where we lean into discussions that will help us obtain a bedrock understanding of the doctrines of Christ. Not overnight, but every day better. Strength gathered over time. There is a place for you here. Looking forward to spending the semester with you as we embark on a journey focused on becoming His. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Inklings. So excited for today. And let me tell you where we're going to be. We're going to be at um, God Knows and Loves You, which is Elder Phillips' talk. And then we're going to be in the Book of Mormon a little bit. So you'll want your Book of Mormon as we get started. And so many things to talk about. And... Um, Hi! Hello, all our friends, all our cute friends are on right now. Yay. So we're about to such a good morning. Good morning. Yeah. A really good morning. And you have on a t-shirt, so is it warmer where you are than where I am? Oh, I mean, it's sunny, okay. but not terribly so. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I just really want someone to be having sunshine right now, and I'm sure someone actually is. Probably. Warm sunshine. Yeah, but it's not you or no. me. No. Um, <laughs> And we're so happy to be here. I love the days when me and Rio get to just come together and be chatting because there's just so many fun things to talk about, especially this talk. So many things. I don't even know where to dive in, but my thought is that we'll start in the talk and we'll spend a little bit of time in the scriptures. And then I have one or two experiences I maybe would love to share and actually maybe i'll start with okay. one of them which is um i was at a sacrament meeting that i spoke at a couple weeks ago and while i was there um there was a couple who spoke with me and they were like brand new married couple <laughs> and they were speaking on ministering and how to love someone well through a really hard time mm -hmm. and as i was thinking about that just them walking through that experience of this really hard thing that happened right at the get-go of their marriage. And the thing that stood out to me the most about their talk that has not left me is that the most profound ministering moments were the simplest things, like sheets for a bed. Mm. Um, that sometimes I, I think we've, we maybe feel like, well, they'll be fine without this. And what was interesting about that, uh, those talks and, and listening to them talk about ministering, it was actually the things you thought would have been forgotten became the most important part of their experience. So I did today just want to start out and be like, let's remember when we're talking about God and God's love and how we use God's love to love others, that it's not always going to be these huge experiences mm -hmm. it's often it's going to happen in small and simple things and one other thing i wanted to say that just was interesting because we um were on elder phillips this week 
I got confused last week because I didn't have um, Elder Choi's talk in the binder that I printed out. So we put this one up, then we took it down and we put that other um, Elder Choi's talk about happiness in the middle. And then it was so fun as I've been um, looking at what's happening with our Come Follow Me and where we are right now in the scriptures. And we're just about go to go into this week, living after the manner of happiness. Mm. That's what we're about to study in great detail this week. And um, it was interesting because when I opened up the, I, I last week, Rio, I told everyone, you might've heard already about this list of 10 things, oh. this joy list that you, we were going to make. And it was so fun because I opened up on Don't Miss This, the journal for the week. And it was to do that, to make a a joy list um, that you would put in these little frames. And right when it happened, I thought, don't you love the coincidences at Inklings when just every so often we randomly choose what we think where. And Elder Choi's talk in the beginning wasn't even in that spot, which is why I didn't have it in my thing. But then all of a sudden there it was. And now all of a sudden here we are in Second Nephi studying what happiness actually looks like. And I just, I love that sometimes that's his way of ministering. That's mm -hmm. just showing up unexpectedly in, in really tiny ways that you might almost yeah. miss uh, if you weren't watching. And for me, this has been a super hard week. And so to have that exercise on Sunday of sitting down and, remaking my joy list and I put it in a little frame so I could just sit it up and there it would be right there and it was that reminder and I'm sure there's more than just me who that discussion last week was important for but I love that he just shows up like that just like here hold on put this talk right here so it kind of jars you and you got to rewrap your head around it and then um, it'll line up with then what you're going to be in the Book of Mormon studying, mm -hmm. and you're going to take time to make this list, and this is going to be what gets you through this week. I I love that sometimes it's that mm -hmm. simple for us, and I think as we get into this talk, to maybe remember it's that simple. Yeah. That's how it is. So let's dive into the the talk and. Um, What's your, where should we start? What was a, a standout for you? Uh, okay. Well, I think connecting to what you're just saying, he has a line in there that is per perfectly sums up what you kind of just described. And so maybe I have my numbered paragraphs out, everyone. So paragraph um, 10 is one of my very favorites. So maybe we start there. Because, um, well, he shares the sweet story, right? And I think many of us parents can maybe relate to a story like this, feeling one of our children lost and that sense of panic and the unknown. Yes. And I'll, we'll kind of circle back to that because he, he also circle back, circles back to at the end of his talk. So maybe we'll come back to that. But he, he starts to dive into that tr truth. Um, but in paragraph 10, he says, do not misunderstand or devalue how important you are to your father in heaven. You are not an accidental byproduct of nature, a cosmic orphan, or the result of matter plus time plus mm. chance. Where there is design, there is a designer. And I think that's perfect for what you were just saying, because I, I think we are blessed to, 
with this knowledge comes a perspective that when those little things line up, these coincidences that we believe are so much greater than that, we notice that. Where yeah. I think many people without that perspective aren't seeing the hand of God working, even though he, he still is. He's in all of our lives. But when you have this certain perspective mm -hmm. because of this truth that we know that we are a part of something so much greater that there's a designer in all of this. And I think that is so beautiful. And then it just, it makes you feel so important because it, I think the smaller the things are that happen, I almost feel more important because yes. like he cared to get involved in this tiny little thing. Like, of course he did because he knew the impact it would have on us. Yeah. But the, they can feel so small sometimes that we're like, is that really? But I think truly there is no coincidence. It's he, so true. It's so beautiful. That is one of my very favorite, favorite truths to lean into. And that's something I grew up with my dad always saying that Christ and our heavenly father builds, creates and organizes. Mm. And any other thing would be the adversary where it's all the opposite of that. And it's mm. discouragement, confusion. And it's breaking down and I just, anything that is like that lifting and someone said glimmers, that's, I've actually loved learning yes. more about that word. Um, it's like the opposite almost of what is it trigger? Or it's like a, it's like this positive little thing. Um, okay. Cute grand overall designer. God, that's a cute acronym. Yeah, that, that is, is very so cute. cute. I well, love and that. I think it would be fine. It would be fun, Rio, because I'm the same as you. I have this right here that I'm like, yes. this is might be one of my favorite yes. quotes of that yes. whole thing. And, but you actually are a designer. <laughs> that's what you do for your real life job. So mm -hmm. I think it would be so fun for you just to talk about for those of us who design is not something that we've studied that sometimes it really is just that one final touch or it's mm -hmm. moving something into the exact right place or there's something mm -hmm. about design um, that follows the same pattern of him being like, now let's actually move this talk here yeah. and then it's going to work really good here because he sees a bigger picture than what the natural eye yeah. might uh, have assumed. Okay, that's so, so true. Okay, two things come to mind because I'm actually reading a book right now all about creativity. And it's, I think it's called um, the act of creative living or something. Anyway, I love it because going through design school, um, you are taught that like one of the greatest gifts of being a designer is you create something that did not exist previously. Oh, I love that. And in this book, um, it's explaining that like every one of us actually are creative. It depends on what we are. Sorry. Oh, wait. I, oh, I had a there call. There you are. You muted for just one second, but now here you are. Oh, <laughs> world new. Um, so, it's Inklings. Hello. It's, it's Thursday morning. So it's explaining that like we are all creative and some people really attach it to the arts. But if you think about that definition of creating something that wasn't there before, we all are capable of doing that. And that can be a feeling in a room that wasn't there before, right? That can be a relationship that was mended that wasn't there before. It can be, um, it can even get into the analytical and, and mathematical stuff. Like you can create solutions that weren't there before. Like there's so many different industries and places where creation happens. So I just want to mm -hmm. say that, that I think instead of attaching it to the arts, we are all designers and creators. And I think that's beautiful because we are coming, that is our lineage. That is that is our divine lineage is from the ultimate creator and designer. Um, okay, something else that is coming to mind. I 
we're going to figure out if this actually has a cool analogy together, but I'm going to share anyway. <laughs> One thing that is so um, we are taught in design school is kind of a 5, 15, 50 rule. And it's this idea, and there's a lot of different distances, but it's, it's this idea of design should work and communicate the goal well at like five inches away and then at 15, 15 feet away and then like at 50 feet away. Oh, and there that's should be awesome. like, isn't that kind of cool? So it's so there should be a different mix of type and sizes of that so that it's communicating those different messages as humans get closer and are taking in that information, but it should work. If everything is only legible at this distance, the design isn't successful further away. So that's a lot for mm. like advertising and things. So I just wonder there, I can kind of see that lining up here in God designing in a way our lives, that there are going to be things that feel very intimate and close and just for us. Maybe that's yeah. kind of what yeah. I'm feeling like, where it's just like, wow, like, I'm, I feel like I'm the only one that maybe got this little glimmer from heaven. And it, it, that's the kind that makes you feel so connected. And yeah. like you're this, you have this direct line to heaven. And then I think there's ones that are further away that maybe involve a um, bigger community or a family. And you feel like he is aware of yeah. bigger things going on. Yeah. And then you see connections between different people. And you're like, you were on the same wavelength too. Like you kind of have like, you know, when things will show yeah. up. It's kind of serendipitous when you're like, wait, and you kind of actually had that too, where you're like, wait, they're talking about that. I've been feeling that same thing. So then it's kind of this further away zoomed out thing. And then I think you have the really big stuff where you feel like you look at the world and you start to realize like, okay, I think God's hand actually is very aware of what's happening in yes. as a whole, yes. right? Like yeah. you see the negativity and you see the swarming of confusion, but then you, you can zoom out and see that like, if we look though, like there are patterns and there are trends that we're being prepared as a God society for his coming and like all these things anyway. So I just, it's kind of fun to look for his hand at these different distances yeah. from intimacy and that closeness and then further away family. And then like the yeah. world, like just this whole, he, yeah. he's behind all of it. Yes. yes. And I love that he, he will reach us in all yeah. those ways that yeah. he, he's a parent everywhere. And I love also what you said that sometimes we don't realize how apparent he mm -hmm. is um, until we look backwards. Yes. Like in the moment, we may not even recognize that that's happening, mm -hmm. but, but looking backward or in the moment of need, all of a sudden we're like, wow, yes. how, how did he do that mm -hmm. right now? Um, yeah. Which I love that. The, and he's been orchestrating or designing the entire time. Yes. And you know what's another interesting thing about design? Oftentimes people will say really good design actually goes unnoticed. Mm. So I, I'm like trying to think how that might apply. Because I think sometimes it, I wonder if it can feel so seamless. Like it's almost those times in our lives when actually life feels really good. Yeah. And we're just like, oh, like you kind of feel like you're cruising and things are lining up your way. You're kind of getting the green lights, if you will. Yeah. And I think oftentimes that might be a point where we might start to forget. Like it kind of starts to go unnoticed because he's so seamlessly involved in your life. Yeah. That, that those times you might need to check in and be like, back up, hold on. Yeah. Like this is actually, this has been a really special little moment. I think there's a greater hand here. And yes. notice that. Because yes. sometimes... It's, it's easier to notice when times are hard. And he does this big show up, ta-da, and you're like, oh, yes. And yes. you pray for that. And those are so good, too. But That's sometimes so true. when we're not and, compelled yeah. to find it is when it really might mean something. Yeah. 
Um, that's so true. And yes, everyone, I'm with grandkids for the weekend. So I'm just, I'm in this little unknown place. Um, but I love, someone just said, look at paragraph five. And it totally makes sense with what you're saying mm. right now, because it says many of the Savior's parabolic teachings focus on gathering, restoring, or striving to find that which has been scattered or lost. Among these are the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And I love this, that within all of life, those thoughts that he is gathering, or he's restoring, or he is... Um, looking to find something that I like that he's working in that space, even like what you're saying, if we don't recognize that he's working in that space and, and the design is going unnoticed, but all along he's, there's a purpose and a plan mm -hmm. and a direction that he's moving yep. in. Um, and I think that's important. And I think sometimes too, we forget. Um, I was studying Moses earlier this week and how God introduces himself to Moses, the name he chooses, which I think is so interesting how he uses so many different names when he introduces himself to people. You just, whatever you're going to, your story is, is the God you're going to get mm -hmm. in that moment. It almost feels like, and I love that he introduces himself to Moses as almighty mm -hmm. and it's so big. And I love that he was like, Moses, you're about to need a really like big God because you're going to move all of Israel out of slavery. And so let me introduce you as my biggest name, you know, as my full capacity of what I'm bringing to your story right now. And then sometimes we're introduced to them in more intimate mm. names, you know, like creator, also big shepherd, small, yes. you know, like intimate. I know your name mm. and I'm walking through the meadow with you. And I love that thought that he's just there mm. and he's there as whatever we need right mm -hmm. there. And I love okay. that. I love that. Um, in paragraph 11, so right after mm -hmm. what we just read in 10, I love that he reminds us, okay, it's the middle of the paragraph. I'll just jump to it when he says, you are the subject matter of all those parables and teachings. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know if I've heard someone spell it out like that. I feel like people always tell yeah. the parable and then uh -huh. they're like, here's how it relates to you. But I love the idea of like, we were always the subject matter. We were always the reason he told those stories, knowing that like, I hope they put themselves right here. And yeah. it's funny, the phrase main character energy just came to mind because that's such the trend right now. Yes. Is that main, but that's what it is. That's what we should feel is that like, those are written and designed, if you will, for us to be that subject matter. That yes. The whole point. I love that. Yeah, that's so good and so interesting because um, I think, too, he we are his main character. Yes. And I've been thinking a lot for the past two weeks, who's the main character mm -hmm. in my story? Um, because if I'm the main character in his, um, is he the main character in yeah. mine? Which is such an interesting way to think. Yeah. It, it a little bit just shifts your mind a little bit of like, oh, wait, who's, whose story is this? And yes. 
there's a humility perspective that all of a sudden enters in yeah. on one hand, yeah. but there's also like, it takes the weight off. Mm -hmm. If, if it's his story, um, then it, it's just, I don't know why, but for me, it takes the weight off just a little bit where I'm like, okay, this is your, you're going to fit. You're the author. You're yes. the finisher. You're going to figure this out. I'm just going to enter in every day mm -hmm. and do the best I can. Oh, at. Beautiful. Cause it's, it's one of those funny things where like can both be true. Yes. And in a way it's like, it is true. Cause we are the main character. We are the subject. Cause that's how we learn the lesson. But you're right. When you start to think about, but truly like, when you reflect back the glory on who that main character is in your story, then that humility comes in. Yeah. I love that. It's, and that's so <laughs> just for two weeks, yes. I've been like, I got to think yes. about this. And it actually plays in so well to that yoking that mm -hmm. we're going to talk about again. And I'm still so intrigued why that yoke came up at conference so many mm -hmm. times. It's, it's like the yoke was part of the theme of this last, conference and I just keep thinking about why what why did so many different people feel to teach us about that yoking and as we're talking about this who's the main character in a yoke neither yes you know it's, yep. we're both pushing toward that thing mm -hmm. with equal uh, we'll both get there mm -hmm. at the same time We'll both push for the same time. We're, we're equal in creating this story. And I think it's so interesting. I'm going to go to 23 and 24. The metaphor of the yoke is powerful. As President Howard W. Hunter explained, the yoke was a device that allowed the strength of a second animal to be linked and coupled with the effort of a single animal, sharing and reducing the heavy labor of the task in hand. A burden that was overwhelming or perhaps impossible for one to bear could be equitably and comfortably borne by two bound together with a common yoke or a common cause or a common covenant. Like you just start thinking, what is that thing that ties us together? And then it says, President Nelson taught, you come unto Christ to be yoked with him and with his power so that you're not pulling life's load alone. You're pulling life's load yoked with the savior and redeemer of the world. And I just love that thought of this yoking as we think about this, um, as we think about this talk and in, oh, here I am. I have you up on a suitcase on my bed with my computer because you guys that's all i've got going for me <laughs> hold on here i come back again so okay are we all fine um right i i love this part that says um in verse 16 our journey to god is often found together mm. and so for me there's like two things happening in life and in this talk because there's this thought of yoking with God, right? And God's love and experiencing God's love. But when we have done that well, there's this thought of yoking ourselves to each other and that the journey to God is often found together. And I am so intrigued by that. So I want to tell you something I've been thinking about because I want to know what you think about it but I'm really interested in what the community thinks about it. 
um, I was in a conversation with a good friend earlier this week, and we were talking about the youth and um, and young single adults, particularly because I've got a young single adult right now, cute Grace, who we just love. And so I'm always thinking about her and I'm thinking a lot about her friends and the people who are coming in and out of my house all of the time. And this friend who I was talking to was not a young adult. Um, it was someone my age and they were saying the world is so tricky right now for that age group. And there's so much shifting and sifting that is taking place there. And what is the right thing um, to do for this group? And and they were talking about um, if you are raising a child in a principle-based way, which is kind of the way that things have gone, it's hard. And, and she was saying, this is what's hard about it. There used to be a fence on the cliff. Mm. And now um, there's there has to be an ambulance at the bottom because if there's not a fence at the top, then you have to have the ambulance at the bottom. So why not just have the fence? And as I was listening, I was like, mm. for a minute, that does make sense to me. Like I can see how the fence at the top might protect you from the hurt that would come at the bottom. But just the spirit in my mind was like, there's a third option. Mm. And I was like, like, okay, I'm so intrigued by that there might be a third option. What if the fence isn't necessarily the right thing and the ambulance also is not the thing we want to choose? What would the third option be? And then the spirit just whispered the church in the meadow uh, mm -hmm. before you get to the cliff. And I was like, okay, I'm super intrigued by the church in the meadow right now yeah and as i was thinking about it i was like what's the job i know the job of the fence mm -hmm. and i know the job of the ambulance like that's easy what's the job of the church in the meadow that's what i started mm -hmm. trying to figure out is what is the job of the church in the meadow that would make it so maybe the cliff wasn't appealing and so I had reached out to a good friend of Grace's who I just love. Grace has these awesome <laughs> friends um, that are not just super fun, but they're deep thinkers, really deep thinkers. And um, and a lot of them will come over and just sit around the table and or sit on the couch or we'll go meet somewhere um, and talk about these things. So I had reached out to one of them and just said, um, I... I'm thinking this through. I'm thinking about the fence. I'm thinking about the ambulance. I'm, I'm trying to think about this. Would there be a scenario where the church in the meadow became important? And, and what do you think? And so he was like, okay, let's list the requirements of the church in the middle, in the meadow. And I was like, okay. So he said, everyone has to be welcome. Um, if it is going to, work every no matter where you are everyone has to be welcome at the church in the meadow it has to be a place that you would want to gather mm -hmm. to um also because it's so near the cliff it has to be a place that the ambulance can bring people to for healing mm -hmm. which i was like oh i love that was one of my favorite parts right when he said that i was like oh my heck that is so good 
because the fence is not going to heal someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved that idea. And, um, and then he said, also the, the church in the meadow would have to have a guide. And I was like, okay, tell me more about the guide. This is what I want to know. And, um, and he said, the, the guide would be the one who helps you understand about the cliff. Mm. And that understanding has to include, and this also was so interesting to me, a God that is, um, oh, I forgot the one word, um, but a God that is loving is the one, the one thing. But then he wrote in there, a God that is fair. Mm. And I was like, like, okay, tell me more about this fair God. I'm super interested in, in this God. And he's like, he he has to tell you the truth about the cliff. He ha- he has to tell you. He has to lay out in life. There's going to be consequence, and there's going to be, um, you know, these things that he he's going to clearly line out for you. Here's there's love here, and there's healing here. But but to be fair, let me also teach you about the consequence of the cliff because the cliff is right there. So it's been super interesting to be thinking right now. Like I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sold on what the church in the meadow, Mm -hmm. what is the job of the church in the meadow, but I have had so much fun Mm. gathering ideas from people and perspectives from people of what does that actually look like? And, Mm. Um, and what should we be providing and, and those kinds of things. So I've been interesting as you guys have been writing in yes. the comments, what, what belongs in the church in the meadow, but what stands out real? What are your like first thoughts? I know, um, my, I think I'm just processing it too. Cause this is so fascinating because a lot of it feels parallel to the Lehi's vision. Like I'm, there's like some parallels there. Right. And I'm thinking like, there's a reason in why the cliff is enticing and I feel like almost like the guy needs to be aware of that because it's like it's like the, it's the natural yeah. man it's very appealing to the natural man and us. the curiosity wants to know that, that full story just like the great and spacious building was very enticing to many and the curiosity of the natural man can't help but like glance and try and figure out what's happening over there um so i'm just i'm intrigued because i think depending on the different personality types and we all have different personalities some can absolutely take the guide's word for it and just be like trust you not even gonna go there and they will go right to the church in the meadow and believe all that is promised and other personality types are going to be like i've got to see it for myself yeah that's that's a part that's interesting to me where like agency and personality comes into play a lot. And, and that's the part that our father in heaven doesn't have control over. Yes. Right. And he just has to educate and, and trust. And anyway, I'm intrigued by that aspect. Of well, it. and while I, you're, you're on that aspect, cause that's why I reached out to this person, yeah. this friend of graces in particular, because he was like, I'm going to tell you no matter what the church in the meadow offered, at the first part of the conversation, mm-hmm. I'm going to go look over the cliff and I'm probably going to need the ambulance. Yeah. So he said, what I love 
is the thought of the place of healing because mm. some people are going to be exactly what you described and he's like when i come back there mm. after i'm healed i'll be able to talk about mm -hmm. the cliff and the ambulance um so i love that part that he's like just because you have the church in the meadow doesn't disqualify the need for the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff yeah but that's why i think i love so much when he tied in the the church's job yeah. when it came to the ambulance, which wasn't just to be like, well, you chose the cliff yeah. over the church. Like so. all paths still lead back. And I yeah. love that. Cause I was like, those people that need that experience, there's learning there that they gained from that and wouldn't have otherwise that then can relate to these other people that are similar yeah. to them. Like that diner part where then, God will yeah. make sure those paths cross because he's like, these guys learn this in a similar way. And so I think you're exactly right. Each has a role because no one's path to back to our heavenly home is the same. Like they're just, it's, it needs all these different pieces to it at different times. But in the end, that receiving and welcoming back, yes. I think is one of the greatest roles of that church in yeah. the meadow. I think it is, um, I think that is too. And it, but let's for a second just go to 3 Nephi 18 mm -hmm. um, because it's so interesting to me. Um, and um, I, I, we've talked about this before, but I've just felt to talk about it again. So we, if you, if it sounds familiar, you'll be like, I think we talked about this once before, but 3 Nephi 18 is one of my most favorite chapters of the entire Book of Mormon. Mm. And um, it's set up in a really interesting way. If you study it for a long time, you, you'll start noticing that the, I don't think the setup was a coincidence. Mm. I think starting from verse one, he was like, okay, I'm about to teach you something really important here. And, and you need all of it in order to understand some of it. And it starts out, he tells the disciples they should bring forth some bread and wine unto him. And so they go, and he's teaching a crowd, and we already know what that means. And I think sometimes we get into something like this, and we're like, oh, bread and wine in a crowd. And, and we, we go into it the same way we go into every Sunday sacrament meeting. This is just how it goes. We go in, we sing a song, we have the prayer, someone's going to give announcements, we're going to have another song, we're going to do the bread and the water, and then we're going to have two speakers, and we're going to say the closing prayer, and then we're going to, that's it, that's it. We just, we're like, oh, I know, I know, skip, skip this part, I know. And I think this is really critical because I think he starts out and he's like, let me teach you about covenant relationship. Let me teach you about the yoke. Let me remind you back to Mosiah 18 when the people who decided they were going to enter into that covenant also described what would be the outcome of that covenant. And it would be a people who mourn and comfort and bear burdens. That, that should be the outward expression of that inward covenant. That's what it should look like and i feel like that's what he's going to try and teach us so he's he's like okay 
Let me start out with bread and water. Let me start out with that because I'm going to teach you a lesson that's going to be, it's hard, it's going to be hard mm -hmm. um, for your mind to comprehend. So I'm going to start out and I'm going to teach you, remember the bread and the water is an inward covenant. The outward expression is going to be comfort, mourn, and bear. So we start out with that. And he says, this is so important that I'm going to actually ordain someone among you. And I'm going to give him the power that he's going to be able to break and bless this and give it to the church. So this is not just happening while I'm here. This isn't, wasn't just a loaves and fishes moment. This is actually going to become the, the most important part of your Sabbath worship. And I will ordain someone to make sure you can keep having this over and over again. And in verse six, he says, this shall ye always observe to do, even as I have done. You're always, you're going to always do this. He's telling them, this is part of church now is this inward covenant and an outward expression that will be born of it. And then um, he, and he, and he goes through for a lot of verses. He, he keeps saying it, this shall ye always do. So anyone who repents and is baptized, or you could swap out for those words, believes and enters into covenant relationship or um, repent would also be turns again toward me, right? Think about the ambulance, friends. Anyone who turns again toward me, anyone who walks into the church in the meadow, then there you're gonna you're gonna comfort, mourn, and bear. Okay, this should you always do. He tells them you're gonna always do this, um, and he tells them in verse twenty two. Okay, and I need you to meet together often. That's your job you're gonna you're gonna always do this and you're gonna meet together often and you won't forbid any man from coming unto you when you meet together but you will you will forbid them not you will suffer that they come in you will allow suffer would be a, a really great word for you will allow so what my friend was saying anyone is welcome everyone can come in to the church in the meadow okay this is the man who owns the church mm -hmm who's telling us who gets to come in. And I think sometimes we're like, no, 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 mm. nope. You, you, if your life looks like this, you, you actually can't. Mm. And I love that he's like, no, no, you actually, you don't forbid anyone mm. to come into this place. Um, you will pray for them in verse 23 and you will not cast them out. Mm. Um, and if it so be that they come to you often, then you need to start praying to the father for them as, as part of the people who you have watch care for. Add them to the list of people you are praying for. That's what you have to do. And um, I love this. So let's just think about this church in the middle, meadow and let's pretend it's the middle of the night because I don't know about at your house because it's quieter there, but the middle of the night is when I hear ambulances the mm. most. And in that dark moment, and don't you think the church in the meadow has its light on all the time? Mm. And I love um, in verse 24 when it says, so therefore hold up your light that it might shine unto the whole world. Like people need to know how to find the church in the meadow. And then listen how neat this is. He says, behold, I am the light which ye shall hold up. 
And that which you have seen me do, that's what you hold up. So the church in the meadow should look like what you see me do. That's how the church in the meadow looks. And then I'm going to take you to my favorite part of the whole entire thing. So he reminds you in 30. So, okay, remember what you're supposed to do. Don't cast him out. You're going to minister unto him and you're going to pray for him unto the father in my name. And, um, this, these are all the qualifications of this is what the people in the church of the meadow do. And then he says this in verse 32, nevertheless, ye shall not cast him out of your synagogues or your places of worship for unto such shall ye continue to minister for ye know not, but what they will return and repent and come unto me with full purpose of heart. And I shall heal them. And you shall be the means of bringing salvation or saving or healing, bringing me to them. And I love that he sets out, he calls it a synagogue. I'm going to call it the church in the meadow. This is what this looks like. Everybody is welcome. Everybody gets to come in at whatever place of healing they are. They get to come in and your job is to continue to minister. That's your job, always, every single day. My job, he says, is to heal them. That's my my job. That's not your job. Mm-hmm. Your job is not saving or healing or fixing. That's actually not um, your job. Your job is minister. Um, I think it's so interesting talking about excommunication, which is actually a word we, the church no longer uses because the the word choice wasn't a great descriptor for what is happening in a situation like that. And um, at a time where there is, I was just, um, I was just studying this group of people called the nuns and immediately you think of women in the Catholic church, but the nuns are N O N E S. And it's, if you were to list on what religion are you, they would say none. I'm not, I'm not affiliated with any religion. And for a time, there was a rise in the nuns. And actually, just recently, that it started going the other way. They're, they're coming back. They're actually looking for um, religion again. They're looking for God again. They're, we're going to start seeing people come back into the church in the meadow, the synagogue, the chapels. We're going to see people coming back. And my dad, when I was very young, um, I love English. I love words. So when I first heard that word, I was like, I'm so confused by that word. Um, and what does it mean? And um, as we were talking about it, he said um, he had been a bishop and a state president. It was just before he was getting ready to um, serve as a mission president. And he said, people get confused. You People think excommunication is the way out. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's it's the way back into covenant relationship. It's the first step of riding the ship and entering back in. It, it's a clean break that allows you the process of re-entering in to the covenant um, in a um, in a way that allows you to to step out of the mistake and back into reconciliation with God. 
And I, that was, I was 16 when my dad taught me that. And that was one of the most powerful things that I had ever learned because you think about, we talk about this a lot here, repentance. And repentance is if sin is here and the Savior's way is here, there is a moment where you turn, a, a turning again. That's what we talk about, a turn again. It's just that turn again. And for some people, what is needed to enter back into relationship is just a clean break from my past. I just need a clean break from that so that I can actually be reconciled back to God. And I loved when my dad said, you, you wouldn't understand it unless you had been there. When you see the relief on someone's face that they're like, okay, I can now enter back in. And that's what I needed. And when you think about it like that, I'm like, that is so kind of mm -hmm. God to give a, um, a, way, a way back that is just, okay, let's try again. Mm -hmm. Let's just try again. This is what we're going to do now. We're just going to try again. And for some people, they need, they need that opportunity to set whatever it is that has those words that you talked about, destroyed and, and ruined. They, they need that opportunity to be able to say, I'm leaving that behind. That's what I have to do now. I'm leaving that behind. And I'm going to start on this process of entering back in to that relationship. And I, um, I just think it's a really sweet thing. But it, it depends on how you've been taught that mm -hmm. process. And also, if you've ever watched someone walk back into relationship with Christ, which is actually a really beautiful, beautiful thing to watch. So I don't know, what are your thoughts on this third Nephi 18? Um, okay. Well, I, I have to say in the talk, you said two words that he says here too, in paragraph 19, our savior's mission was to provide both a way to return to our heavenly father and relief in the journey. And so I, I wrote those two words down earlier, return and relief. And mm. that's exactly what you're describing, that there is a path back. And Something that keeps um, coming to mind back to the whole ambulance church in the meadow, because now we're all going to think about that. For the, <laughs> like, I, um, keep thinking about what happens above the cliff, like in that meadow and in that space near the cliff, as because that's where a lot of choices are happening. That's where a lot of us are deciding our path and which way we're going to go. And I think how we treat each other or how we judge each other in that moment will determine that if those that choose the cliff at the bottom, their agency is involved at every point in mm -hmm. our journey. So for them to be able to make the choice, for the ambulance to take them back up to the church in the meadow, I think more often than not, then they're going to think of, will they receive me? And they're going to think back to like how it was when those decisions were being made they might, depending on that experience, they might not feel ready or comfortable or like they would be received. Yeah. And so I, how important it is, like the receiving and yes is so important and all inclusive. But I think even before that happens, the relationships and how we treat one another as we are seeing each other navigate these different mm -hmm. 
paths of life and when we watch them make choices we wish they wouldn't i think how we treat them though in those moments still leaves the door open for them when they're in the ambulance to be like yeah. take back there um i know they'll take me back but i think sometimes relationships get messy and some people be like i don't think they're gonna want me back by the way they looked at me when i walked towards that cliff you know so i think man there's just yeah that, that relationship happens at every point in the journey and how we treat each other really matters yeah. at every yeah. point which, which is what yes. he says i mean that that for me i have it was so hard in this talk to pick what was going to be my favorite one liner yeah and that really was for mm -hmm. me like the critical thing was how we treat each other really yes. matters. It, it actually does. And that doesn't mean, and I think this is important to, to not say there's going to be emotion. Oh. Um, if you see a child walking towards a cliff, that, that is, you're going to have a yep. lot of emotion in that moment. Um, if, if you see a child down in the ambulance who, if they would have just whatever, they wouldn't have gotten there that is going to be a lot of emotion and that's true that really is true but um i think one thing that has been super helpful for me is um to express honest emotion yeah. that that happens jesus overturned tables mm -hmm. um that's true and sometimes that happens but if jesus only offered overturned tables nobody would ever come back. Mm -hmm. And I think, think that in, when we look at all of scripture, mm -hmm. we only see a few moments where there is sharpness, where, mm -hmm. where there is correction. And we see a lot of moments of walking along the mm -hmm. way and teaching, right? A lot of teaching. Um, and the other thing that I've learned is Jesus told me I, I'm actually not the healer or the fixer or the savior. Mm -hmm. So I have to remember that. That's not my job. My job isn't to fix mm -hmm. that. Even though I want to, mm -hmm. that's not my job. That's his job. And the person who's in charge of helping or yoking with that job is actually not me. Mm -hmm. It's the bishop. Mm -hmm. That's his job. And, and there is something about learning to hand mm -hmm. off responsibility to the person whose task it really is um, for that reconciliation to take place and then for us to learn so we can be the people that you are talking about right now we're not the judge in israel we're not um we're we're the first responders mm -hmm. that's who we generally are and if you were in an accident and the first responder stood over you and started telling you every single thing that if you hadn't done this, you wouldn't have gotten in that place. You could bleed to death. Mm -hmm. What's the job of the first responder? It's the good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. It's the oil and the binding up and the setting you on the horse and, mm -hmm. and getting you to the place where, okay, what does recovery look like for you? And who, who's the team? Generally, it takes a team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I love this first responders because I, I think um, if I actually went through that course years ago, I wish it was still current, but I went through that first responders training course. And so much of the, and now I'm realizing there are so many beautiful parallels because as first responders, you're not going through medical school. 
you're not learning all of the technicalities of how to heal and fix and repair, but you are triaging and you are trying to figure out how to get help there. And you're reassuring. Like that is one of the biggest things is like, you're the first person there. Your voice should be the one that is saying, hey, we've got you. You're okay. We're here. Help is on the way. Like that is one of the biggest responsibilities of a first responder. If they're coherent enough is to relay those messages of like, help is on the way. There are people here with you now. Like you just be there with them and bind up their wounds until that healing comes. That is a beautiful metaphor I'd never thought about. That is, oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's part of the job mm-hmm. of the church in the meadow. I just think it is. It's part of the job, um, and we could be better. So people actually want to come in the doors. I just want to end. Um, we a few years ago, Greg and I had the opportunity to go to Germany on this um, trip that we were helping to lead people through, and we came to a church in the meadow. Um, And I think about it all the time. It's the funniest little church because nobody lives by it. It's no one's home church. There's no houses. It it for real life is the church in the meadow. They're just cows. That's it. And this church. But millions of people come to the church. And they come to the church because of what happened there hundreds of years ago, there was a little community there at one point. And the community decided for um, their Passover, they were going to do the 14 stages of the cross. And so every, they split the church up into groups and everyone was going to be in charge of one of the stations. And one of the groups, by the time they got there to put together what their station of the cross was going to look like, um, that there were no pieces left to put together their version of what the savior would look like in that part. And so they just had to take mismatched parts of everything that was left. And they put together this mismatched Jesus and then they brought it and everyone was like, no, no, we cannot use that. That is terrible. No. And um, so they didn't. And a woman just took it home. She took home the statue of Jesus that they had put together. And she had a daughter who was really sick. And one day when she was praying about that daughter, she looked over in the corner at her little mismatched Jesus and a tear came out of the wood, just came out of the, um, of that old wood that they had used to try and put him together. And her daughter ended up being healed is the story that they tell. And, So people started coming from all over to see this mismatched Jesus that because of a prayer, now this daughter had been healed. And so people started bringing everyone they knew to this church in the meadow. It's called, it's the white church, W-E-I-S-S, because Germany. And so they had to build this church. They built this church and now that Jesus hangs in the church, he's there. And it's so interesting to see what he looks like because he really is just pulled together. And people come from everywhere to pray in the church in the meadow. And they bring people who are seeking healing. Um, That's who they bring there. And it now is the church of the whole world because that's what people are coming for. And 
when I stood there, I was like, I, I need, cause I went up to the front. You wait in your turn to go up to the front and pray. And it's so funny. I can pray anywhere in the whole world. Mm -hmm. I can for mm -hmm. healing. I know that. But for some reason, I stood up in front of that Jesus and I prayed for every one of my kids for whatever did they need um, healing in any way. And I just poured out my heart. And as I walked away from that space, I was like, this is the interesting thing. What that church offered me was um, a, a moment of really intense pondering over what I needed for each person in my family and a quiet space dedicated primarily for the purpose of praying for that. That's what it offered. And as I was walking out, I was like, I wish I could come back here again. And I love when the spirit is like, let me help you. Um, as I walked out into the parking lot and the cows were all there and it was like, this is what sacrament is supposed to look like. I'm providing this for you every week. Remember in 3518 when he was like, you should always do this. You should gather together often and you should always do this. And it was one of those moments that changed church for me because I was like, I actually have a church where I go and I think about the Savior, a mismatched Jesus, and I can pray for 20 silent minutes. I can pray. I could pray that deeply if that is what I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. And that we don't, I know we all want to go to the, um, the Vice Church. Um, the, I know we want to go there. But we actually do, everybody. We all will this Sunday. We'll all go there and we'll all get to have that moment. And just to remember that, um, that's part of the church in the meadow is it has to offer that sacrament. Mm, it's beautiful. Man, you're giving us so much to think about. Well, this, <laughs> I, is what, this is so all much. what is right here right now. Uh, I just am like, in this that church in the meadow i can't give it up right now i love it i love it and i didn't realize there was a, an original poem so now i want to go find that and then just take all my notes <laughs> all around <laughs> yeah so, so many things so, to think about good things to think about this week so everybody have a good week yes have a good thursday and Great. then um we're gonna all work on being first responders that's what we're gonna do i love we're going to be really good at it. Inklings, first responders. Why wouldn't we be? Why not? At any point in the journey. I'm so yeah. excited. I love this. Always so good. Your comments were always so Yeah, they're so good, everybody. The comments are so good. So, okay, have a good week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining me. This podcast is taken from our Thursday Inklings discussions, which happen live on Instagram at inklings.institute. If you loved being here, I'd love to invite you to go even deeper with me, get reminders, and enjoy first access to all our events and gatherings by going to emilybellfreeman.com backslash inklings.